You hire great employees with amazing skills and creativity to do the job. Soon, it becomes evident something is not working. There's a disconnect between leaders and employees. People aren't speaking up and sharing their great ideas. What's missing? The answer, a culture built on courage. Welcome to episode 69. The future of work isn't about shareholder value, technology, metrics, or automation. It's about being human and putting people first through actionable love. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast, where we hold deep conversations with extraordinary people to help you grow as a leader and expand your business. Here's your host, Marcel Schwantes. Welcome to episode 69 of the Love in Action podcast, now heard globally in over 100 countries. So glad you are here for what I know will be a great experience for you. If you're new to the show, you have landed at the place where we hold deep conversations about how to make your business and workplace be both good for people and for profits. Today's episode is about being courageous. But more specifically, if you're a leader, creating courageous cultures of work that lead to high performance and high engagement. Now, you may be wondering, Marcel, what does being more courageous have to do with high performance or engagement? Well, many leaders are convinced that they have an open and inviting environment that encourages people, their employees, to speak up and feel heard and feel understood. Hmm. And then they're shocked when they learn that employees are holding back and not speaking up. The thing is, your employees have great ideas and they want to be heard. And every good leader wants to hear them too. But too often, there's this disconnect. And over time, here's what happens. Employees and leaders both feel that, hey, no one cares about making things better here. And that disconnect gets wider and wider over time. From leaders complaining that their teams don't contribute ideas to employees just throwing up their hands and complaining that, hey, nobody ever asked for my input. And when people like my distinguished guests today look at what's really going on through their research, we find that the company culture is the culprit. And what's drastically missing is courage. And I can't wait to dig into this topic with none other than Karen Hurt, co-author of a brand new book called, what else? Courageous Cultures, how to build teams of micro innovators, problem solvers, and customer advocates. Karen is an accomplished author, an international keynote speaker, inspiring transformational change around the world through her leadership training and consulting firm, Let's Grow Leaders, which she co-founded with her husband, David Dye, who, by the way, also co-authored Courageous Culture. She's also the award-winning author of Winning Well, a manager's guide to getting results without losing your soul. Karen was recently named on Inc. Magazine's list of 100 great leadership speakers and American Management Association's 50 Leaders to Watch. She is a former Verizon executive with a track record of turnaround successes across multiple disciplines, including sales, customer service, and human resources. 
She and her husband, David, are also philanthropists, spearheading an initiative called Winning Wells, which provides clean water wells to communities struggling with access to safe water throughout Southeast Asia. Great to have you, Karen. I can't wait to dig in. I have so many questions for you. So welcome to the Love in Action podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's a delight to talk with you. Thanks. Likewise, Karen. So Karen, we always start with kind of a human moment, and that is a moment of gratitude. We're in tough times right now. So what makes you smile when you get up in the morning these days? It's funny because since we've been in this lockdown mode, my 14-year-old son, Sebastian, has decided that we should start every morning by him coming in and singing a little song to me. So he says, good morning, good morning. And uh, that always makes me smile. I'm usually, of course, up way before him. So, uh, you know, as he comes into my office, I get my little serenade and then we go on with the rest of our day. It's good when you're already awake and not having your 14-year-old bounce up and down and sing a song in your ear, right? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I want our listeners to get acquainted with you. Now that you told us what makes you smile in the morning is, is next, tell us what gets you up in the morning, meaning what's your purpose? What's your why? Yeah, we are really passionate about helping leaders get breakthrough results without losing your soul, right? By staying a human being along the way. And our mission is to provide extremely practical tools and techniques that people can use. And it has been so much fun working with leaders around the world in a variety of contexts and watching people say, oh, wow, I can do this. Yeah. You see that transformation and then you see the impact it has on not only people's results, but on how they're feeling about the work that they're doing. That really makes my heart sing. Mm, Yeah, we share that as well because I get into coaching sessions with clients and I see the aha moments and the breakthroughs and the lights go on. And I'm telling you, that's the whole reason why I get up in the morning. So yeah, we share in that regard. So Karen, we have seen so many leadership books come out. I mean, there's do a Google search on leadership books, you'll get 30 pages deep. How is this book, Courageous Cultures, different? And why this book? Why now? When you think about books on culture, culture is often talked about in the abstract. This is just some of the things, these are your values, you need to go. What everyone is telling us is different about this book is that it is a step-by-step guide with practical tools that take you through an entire process that really you can use more as a handbook. And it's funny because when people go through our programs or they hear a keynote speech, the word they always use is practical. It's consistent everywhere, no matter what country. Oh, that's really practical. So I think that's really what we're known for. And when it comes to culture, you know, how do you do that in a good way? There's a lot of really important research written by Dr. Amy Edmondson on psychological right. safety. And she wrote the foreword to our book. And she said to us, you know what's really helpful about your approach to psychological safety? It's really practical. You give people a roadmap <laughs> to do that. You know, so I, I think that is the differentiator. Why now? It's interesting because we began this research, it was pretty extensive, so three years ago, and have been at this for a long time. So we could not have anticipated what is happening now. Who would have thought we'd be releasing this book in the middle of a pandemic? Mm. 
we were addressing uh, other gaps that we'll get to, but what the response that we've gotten is this book could not be more timely now because everyone is on a fast pivot in one way, shape, or form, having to come up with creative ways to serve their customers, coming up with how are we going to engage our workforce while everyone is suddenly working from home, or how do we keep our workforce that we're requiring people to come back in and they don't feel safe, and how do we help them manage that stress? Nobody has the handbook for that, right? Nobody's like, oh, just take this book, How to Lead in a Pandemic. But it's the leaders who can now tap into the best ideas of all of their people who can really pull people together and say, let's solve this together. Mm. And our book gives people a way to do that. How do you go out and proactively ask people for their ideas and collaborate on how you're going to build a brighter, bolder future? And so what has been so fascinating for us is the phone calls that we've gotten of people see the Courageous Cultures research and say, help us apply this right now to our situation that we have. We just spent a, this week, we had amazing two days with a group of mid-level to fairly senior level leaders at Amazon. And as part of their two-day global conference, which would have been in the Philippines, you know, they would have flown everybody in, but we were doing it live online. They did a fantastic job. Was how we worked on five strategic areas of the business right now that they needed best ideas on and then built collaborative conversations. And at the end of that, they came up with solutions. Now, if a couple of senior leaders had just been working on those things, they wouldn't have been able to do it that quickly. Yeah. 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 Okay. Let me pull you back just a bit for a definition. And we have so many definitions of leadership. And I would say the same for culture. So what is your definition of a courageous culture? Yeah. So let me start with our favorite definition of culture, which is Seth Godin, who says, people like us do things like this. And it's so simple, but that is what culture is. So then when we talk about a courageous culture, what is it that people like us do? In a courageous culture, people like us speak up. We share ideas. It's a culture where silence isn't safe. It's expected that you're going to contribute and people are contributing at every level of the mm. business. Okay, I love it. Talk about the research itself before we get into the findings. I mean, what did you set out to discover and who yeah. is involved? So yeah. as you said in the introduction, mm. we were noticing a consistent phenomenon across many, many organizations and across industries and countries where we would be doing work at the very senior levels of organizations. And we would hear things like, why am I the only one who discovers these ideas? Or you've got a person who's got a best practice and then two cubes down, that other person hasn't even heard of that best practice. Or I ask people for their ideas and I get nothing we would be then working at the very front line of those same organizations and we would hear things like, oh, last time I spoke up, I got in trouble or nobody wants to hear my ideas or, you know what, nothing ever happens there anyway. People just operate around, this is the notion of, we, this is the way we always done it. Why bother? Or, you know, they don't pay me enough for my ideas. Yeah. And we thought, are you all working in the same company? Because employees clearly have ideas they want to contribute. Leaders clearly want to hear them most of the time, right? And yet there is this disconnect. How do we figure out why this disconnect is happening? And then how can we convert that into research-based practical tools that will help? 
we really want, wanted this to be robust. So we set out to partner with University of North Colorado Social Research Lab. So we had a couple of PhD and PhD students working on this with us to really dissect the data, make sure we were asking the questions in scientific ways. So that's part of it. We had a global survey that we did. And then we had three organizations, very different organizations. One was a large financial institution. One was an engineering firm where we went deep and did case studies where we looked at, talked to people at every level of the organization. And then finally, we were doing all of these leadership programs. So we would talk with people as we were in these programs and collect data around fear and speaking up. So we took all of that and spent months <laughs> just sorting through it and understanding what was going on. And that's where we were able to really come up with a dynamic. Mm, okay. So I'm dying to know what some of the biggest barriers you found that keep people from speaking up and sharing ideas. Yeah. So this one is really interesting. 49% of the people said the reason they don't share ideas is that no one asked. Now, when we dug underneath, the leader said, I ask, I have an open door. The trouble with an open door is for many people, it still takes courage to walk through that door. So having an open door isn't the same as asking. Another finding was 50% said nothing would ever happen. And what was really interesting about that is we'd say, well, nothing would ever happen. And in one financial organization we were working with, they said, well, the ideas that are being submitted we're already using them. So, you know, it wasn't like we needed to do anything. They were already being done. People just didn't know. So it's not like we didn't act on the ideas. We said, well, do you tell the people that their idea was already being done? Ooh, no. So in some cases, it wasn't that nothing was happening. It was just that there was no feedback loop. And the other really big one was 40% said, I lack confidence to share an idea. Mm. Yeah. And so where does the lack of confidence, that gets to the psychological safety piece of things where people had a bad experience in the past. And so they're letting that psychological dominate their brain. There's or, some baggage there, right? Yeah. And a lot. And when we dug underneath that statistic, one of the things we would find is a lot of the times people were not speaking up to their current leader, but the bad experience wasn't with their current leader. At one point, we asked uh, someone and they said, oh, well, that was 10 years ago in a different organization. And yet that scar tissue had clung on. So one of the things that we do in our programs is we help people do a courage map where they tap into their positive experiences of speaking up so that they bring those memories to the forefront of their brain and that gives them confidence for future. Hmm. I'm curious if any of those... I mean, you're in the middle of that, digging the data. Did something just slap you upside the head and where you could just like, oh my goodness, this is unreal. Yeah. The biggest reason why people don't speak up, 56% said, because I won't get credit. And it's interesting because when we flash that statistic up on a keynote stage, yeah. the entire audience goes, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's... Everyone has a story of a time that somebody took their, stole their credit. Right, right. Actually, it, does, it seems so foundational mm. for building good cultures, right? That 
give people credit for the work that they're doing. That doesn't cost you anything. Karen, speak to leaders listening. If they're hearing this, what would you say is a big red flag that if this is happening right now in their culture, could be a problem down the line for them that's going to affect their bottom line, affect their morale or retention even? There is so much change happening right now. Everyone is pulling together to do the best they can with what they have with where they are. If you are not tapping into the very best thinking of all your people while you're doing that, imagine you have two managers, one who is tapping in and getting everybody's best ideas, engaging people. The other one is saying, you know what? I know exactly what to do. Follow me. These two competitors, right? Who is going to win? Who is going to have the ideas that are going to work best right now? And so it may be that you are just in a high clarity culture and saying, this is what we're going to do. And you don't even know what you're missing. But in the long run, people who are bringing people along with them, the one that are getting more ideas, are connecting at a human level and having empathy during this crazy time. That's who people are going to want to work for Mm. when the economy begins to recover. And so the long game is that. The long game is building a great culture. Sure, you can probably get away with right now, especially if you're in an industry where it's hard to find a job. You can get away with traditional top-down leadership, but that's not what's going to change the game in a, a universe where artificial intelligence is coming in and the simple work is going away and all of that. The winning managers are the ones that will be able to tap into what humans do best, which is to get creative and to connect with empathy. Yeah. I want to see if I can squeeze out just a little more out of this because of the pandemic. We're in, there's so many things happening at once. You got a global pandemic, you got an economic downturn, and then on top of that, you have racial injustice and social unrest protests all over, which are really, if you look at it, they're actually affecting the workplace as well because we have people of color working amongst us. So why our courageous culture is even more important right now with everything that's going on. It's amazing to me to watch different organizations respond differently. We got a call from one government agency and they said, Karen, I want you to come to do a training that is going to give our team a fast finish for the year. Fast finish, breakthrough results. Okay, so let's, what's on people's hearts and minds right now? Oh, every, everything's great. Morale is fantastic, right? I mean, in the no, nobody's just got it all handled right now. And I said, well, all right. So in this agency, don't you, and they're, they should be talking about this, right? So you don't have anybody who's concerned about all the social unrest. I mean, you're based in Washington, D.C. There's protests there everywhere. There's Black Lives Matter. Isn't this a conversation? Oh, 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 we can't talk about any of that. That would be political. I'm like, well, there's no way to talk about it without it being political. Oh, no, no, no. We can't talk about that. We need to talk about a fast finish. So you know what? I'm not your girl, (laughs) right? (laughs) Uh, You know, I did not get, I didn't get that job because I said, I don't see how you can do that without it. And if you come in tone deaf to what people are dealing with, or people are trying to work from home right now with children crawling all over them. Yeah. Right. I'm trying to do podcasts and say to my son next door, please stop playing the ukulele. (laughs) Right. You know, and you have to, 
If you can't connect at a human level right now and say, what do you need? And if you just start pushing, people are just going to shut down mm. and do what they can, but they're not, you're not going to get the creative ideas. You're not going to get energetic contributions. You're going to keep people in a survival mode. Yeah. Wow, Karen. I want to get into a, a discussion that we like to talk about fear here on the podcast and how that is an obstacle to having a culture of courage. I have some thoughts about this, Karen, and I want to frame the discussion by asking you a powerful question I always ask my guests. Hang tight. We will do this after a short message. Don't go anywhere. Hey, Marcel here. You know, so many people have asked me, Marcel, we want to coach and train our leaders remotely. Do you have any courses we can purchase online? Well, my answer up until the pandemic hit would have been, sorry, but you can book me for a speaking engagement. But now, with no end in sight to this pandemic, I decided to bring everything that I have delivered in speaking platforms and online workshops across the country to an online platform. It's a real curriculum. It's eight weeks long. It's got videos to watch, plus live Q&A calls in a private Facebook community, only accessible to members. The course is called From Boss to Leader. And I'm inviting you, my listeners, to participate as a beta group member. Together, this beta group will go through a learning experience with me guiding the way. And you will also tell me how to improve on the experience for future students of my course. The beta group is unique because you get 50% off the normal price. If you're interested and you want to learn more, I'd love to hear from you. Find me on LinkedIn or hit me up on my contact page at marcelschwantes.com. Okay, we're back. So Karen, you found something intriguing in your research that caught my attention. And that is the three most toxic behaviors you hear being tolerated and, and even rewarded are shaming, blaming, and intimidation. I want to get into the reasons why that happens. But first, those behaviors typically happen in dehumanizing cultures of fear that are modeled from the top down. And I believe where psychological safety, care, empathy, and compassion, and belonging, when those things are absent and people can't be their true selves, so of course, there's not going to be any courage. Right. So here's a question. It's the year 2020. We're not in 1970 and we're far removed from the industrial age. <laughs> Why do you feel people in leadership roles still lead through fear and intimidation? Yeah, a couple of reasons. One is that they are insecure. I just was having this conversation with a very senior leader I was coaching the other day, and he was so frustrated by some behaviors that he was experiencing from someone. I said, where do you think that's coming from? This, And he's like, Clearly insecurity. I mean, people know it. but And so that's the thing. If you're showing up like this, people see it. They know yeah. you're insecure because that's the number one reason people act that way because they have the power, they can get away with it, and they don't really know the better way to do it. They're scared to be vulnerable. They're scared to make that human connection. So they just tell people what to do. We use an example in the book, true story, chief operating officer at a sales meeting puts up the stack rank of all of her senior team of their results. All right, that's not unusual. But then 
goes to the people at the very bottom of the stack rack and hands the microphone in this public forum and say, can you explain what's going on? And mocking and intimidating. And I thought, oh, can you imagine? Is that, are people going to come up with creative solutions to fix those results? In that environment, all you're going to do is whatever she says to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's all of those, right? That's shame, blame, and intimidation. Or a senior leader who clearly had made a call that didn't turn out right. No big deal. We all make bad decisions. But then has amnesia that he was the one who had that, right? Uh, Begins to blame the director. Why did you do this? Why did you do that? Uh, You were there at the time, right? And so those are the things. If people are experiencing that or any of this, you know, when reporters reach out to us and say, oh, yeah, like psychological safety, you mean like meet the Me Too movement? No. Like, I mean, if you're dealing with Me Too stuff or intimidation stuff, you don't have a fighting chance of building what we're calling a courageous culture. Because if it takes courage to just get out of bed and show up, you're not going to get people's best thinking. Mm-hmm. I'm always interested in the follow-up question, which I'm going to tie into shaming, blaming, and intimidation. Okay, why is this being tolerated? Why is it that we even reward those behaviors? One of the big reasons that I've seen is this person is bringing some other enormous quality. Either they have a massive connection with customers and they're afraid that if they sever the person, they will sever the relationship with the customer. And one of the things that is so fascinating to me is watching people who are perfect at this with customers. Like they would never treat a customer this way. And yet when it comes to leading their own team, all of this toxic behavior comes out. So that's one reason. And I think the other is, if you allow even just one person to get away with it, everybody is watching. And if that person is at a very senior level, people are looking up and saying, that's what it takes to be successful. And now they are going to role model those behaviors. I have seen that happen time and time again. And so that's the danger of leaving even one person in power in play when they are leading that way. And in many cases, and I remember saying this to my teams when I was in corporate, you know, you know, she's winning in spite of those behaviors, right? Not because of them. Pick what they're good at. Pick, watch how they do strategy. Watch how they interface with customers. Don't watch how they're demeaning people, you know? But that's hard for people to wrap their heads around. And they're like, hmm, she's successful. I can do it too. Yeah. And it may just come down to power. They have too much power. And there's, there's people are catering to that power structure. And uh, of course, you go where the money flows too. So yeah. I may be uh, listening going, yeah, I love this stuff. And I, I want to work in a culture of courage. But is my company right for this kind of culture? What would you say to that? Yeah. So I would first say, do you have the basics handled? Do you have the things that we talk about in our first book, Winning Well? You know, are you getting results and focusing on relationships? Are people showing up with confidence and humility? Do you have a strategic plan? Do you know where you're headed? Are you focusing on the most important things? Do you know how to run effective meetings? You've got to have a foundation. This is, a, this is our advanced book. <laughs> the first one was more foundational. I would start there. And if you're not there, 
start there. And it's been very interesting to me the the number of calls for foundational 101 management training that we have received since this pandemic started, they're through the roof. Because if you don't know how to lead an effective meeting, you don't know how to lead an effective remote meeting. Mm. You know, if you do not know how to have an effective one-on-one, you're not going to be able to do it when you're over Zoom and not in the same room. You know, so we're seeing people say, let's help ground the fundamentals. And I would say some of the phone calls that we're getting for that kind of thing, those companies are not quite ready yet, which is good. They lay the foundation first. The other thing I would say is if you don't have the toxic behaviors and you've got your fundamentals in place, then I would say you are probably more ready than you think. And just start. And start with something very simple, like figure out where do you need a great idea? One area, for example, right now we need to figure out how to keep our employees productive and sane while working from home. Let's get ideas around that. You don't have to say we're going to create a courageous culture. And do, no, we're just going to get ideas around that. Then go out and pro, use a couple of tools to proactively ask people for those ideas. Then respond to those ideas. Let them know what you're doing with it. Once you get that, say thank you. Then bring up another area where you need a new idea. It doesn't have to be this whole cultural change strategy. Yeah. Okay. So sticking with making things practical here, let's raise it up to the strategy level. I'm the CEO and I want to sit with my chief HR officer and have a discussion about how do we get the ball rolling on becoming a more courageous culture? What would you say to at the strategy level? What's a good starting point? How do you do it? Yeah, so the first thing I would say is you can download our free executive strategy guide that goes with the book. And as you read the book, we take you through a seven-step process and then give you the exact tool to implement so that you could read this as a team and go through it. But it starts with navigating the narrative, which is getting clear on your own approach. Are you willing to speak up? If you're the CEO, are you able to talk to your board and share your concerns? Or are you sugarcoating things? Because your team will watch what you do. Right. How about your senior team? Are they willing to tell you the truth? Navigate the narrative. Then it starts with clarity. Clarity about two things. One, clear that you really do want people's ideas and clear what a good idea would accomplish. Where do you need a great idea? Then curiosity, which is going out and deliberately asking people for their ideas. And, you know, we have a number of ways to do that. One is just simply asking what we call a courageous question, which is a vulnerable question that assumes there is improvement to be made, and it's specific. What's one thing that's ticking off our customers? Mm. It's vulnerable. I assume there's something that's ticking off our customers. And it's specific because it's easy for you to tell me one thing. That doesn't feel overwhelming. Then the fourth area is respond with regard. That's telling people what you're doing with their ideas. Or if you're not going to use them, that's okay. Explain why. Add in addition, be, respond with gratitude. Then information. What are you going to do with it? Or what more information do you need? Or why can't you use the idea? And then an invitation to continue bringing ideas. That's particularly important if you're not going to use their idea. We can't use that one right now. But you know where we do need an idea? Here. Do you have anything around that? And then we have a process we call practice the principle because one mistake that we see people make is they'll discover a best practice and then they're immediately like, everybody do it. Well, that best practice might not work so well in rural Virginia as it does in New York City. 
you know, so giving the people, your team say, this is the principle we're trying to do here. What ideas would work in your environment? And then galvanize the genius is all about how then you recreate clarity around the new ideas and you implement them through your organization after you practice the principle. And finally, we talk about creating an infrastructure for courage. And this is aligning, this is the advanced stuff, aligning your HR systems, processes, compensation to reward people Uh, for speaking up. Yes, yes, I love that. Okay, so sticking with the practical now, paint a picture for us. If I just got hired, I'm a new employee and I'm going through the onboarding process. How would I know right off the bat in the first week or two that I work for a courageous culture? Yeah. What happens in new hire orientation? What happens even in the interview, right? So are you sitting in orientation and people are like, this is the way we do things around here. This is our policy. This is our vision. All of that needs to be in a new hire orientation, of course. But that's all clarity stuff. Are they showing up curious? Really courageous cultures know that when people are coming in the door new, that is the very best time to get their ideas and thinking because they have just potentially even come from a competitor who might be doing something different than you. And what we found is most people don't do that in new hire orientation, right? Mm. It's all about here's how you should act around here. So one of the things when you're building an infrastructure for courage is really how do you, from the day one, be very clear that you want people's ideas and then specifically ask them for the ideas. And then what happens 30 days later? And maybe because they're too intimidated on day one. So you set the seed and say, you're going to be discovering a lot of things. I want to come back to you in a month. And I want you to tell me what was being done better where you came from and your ideas for how we might do that here. Yeah. It's funny because as I'm hearing you talk and those questions really are expose you to being vulnerable. And that's the whole point. (laughs) Right. You want to exercise the power of vulnerability in building trust with that new employee because when they see that you're willing to let your guard down and actually ask for help instead of pushing your authority down on them and imposing your policies and your procedures and all the rules that, yes, it's important that, you know, that's what new hire orientations are for. But it doesn't lend to, like you said, a culture where people feel safe to speak up right from the get-go. As soon as they walk in the door, they know, hey, people value me here. Yeah, They want me to speak up. And and that's very rare in today's top-down command and control environments. In the book, we talk about the elegant dance between clarity and curiosity. To have a great culture, you've got to be clear. You've got to be clear about what your values are. You need to be clear about your mission, about your direction, about the strategic priorities. And you also need to be, show up with curiosity about how you're going to accomplish all of those things. And so if a company is too focused on clarity, they're going to get a bunch of people who just do what I say. And if it's too curious, well, then you're going to have all these Lone rangers running around with lots of ideas, but nothing ever gets done. And so it's Mm. great cultures are able to tap into both of those. Yeah. Well, we can't let you go without learning more about your philanthropic pursuits. So tell us about what you and David are doing with Winning Wells. So this is really fun. We we wanted to do something as we were establishing Let's Grow Leaders. uh, We really wanted to have some element of giving back. 
And our first book is called Winning Well. So we were sitting in a nonprofit meeting the other several years ago, and somebody was explaining about how they do wells. And it took me like 10 seconds to go, winning wells, that's what we need to do. And so when a client hires us for a training or a keynote or a consulting engagement, we build a clean water well in their name. And that has been fantastic. We had an opportunity where we were speaking at the HR Asia conference and then had an opportunity to go on tour with Together We Can Change the World, who we partner with to do the wells. And we got to go visit the homes where some of these wells have been built. And it's up there in like top most powerful moments in my life Mm. watching, you know, because the world they're living in is so different. And the difference that a well can make, because when you get clean water, A, your children are not in the hospital all the time because they're not getting sick. But also you can then buy a lemon tree and water the lemon tree and sell the lemons. And then you can sell the lemons to buy chickens. And now you have chickens. Now you have eggs, right? And we talked to this one woman. First of all, she climbed up on a tree and got picked a mango for me. I mean, here she was giving to me, right? She had so little. She was describing that they had been able to double the size of their hut Mm. just because of the money they were making from having clean water. Ah, you know, yeah. like, why wouldn't you? <laughs> it's like, that's so powerful. Mm, we could end the podcast right here and I would be floating on air. <laughs> but we end the episode with two final questions, Karen. And the first one is personally, what's really tugging at your heart right now that you would like us to know? Uh, like, like so many of us, right? It's, I am over <laughs> this pandemic. I am yeah. watching, you know, there's just so many people dying and needlessly. And that is just, it's just so hard. And then, so there's that at the, ma- the macro level. And why can't we get this under control? And why don't we have a better strategy? And why other co- are other countries doing this better than us? And all of those frustrations. And then there's the personal. My dad is 80 years old. He is afraid to see any of us. And I literally take him groceries he opens the garage door. I put them in and he's 80 years old. How much more time do we have? And that is the part that's so hard. Yeah. And it, it hits us all in the same spot. My dad is 83 as well. And I have not seen him pre-pandemic. And I don't know when I will again, but we do Zoom and uh, we do FaceTime. It's just not yeah. the same. It's just not the same, right? No. Yeah. yeah. Well, you close us out your way with one final takeaway or a message that will make a difference in our lives. What would that be? I would say if you're listening to this and saying, you know, Karen, this sounds great, but I don't think so. Not in my company. I'm too low. You know, I'm a supervisor or I'm a manager. I can't influence the culture. I would say start where you are. We call this building a cultural oasis. You do have influence about how you lead your team. You do have influence about whether you are willing to speak up and share your great ideas. You do have influence about how you choose to show up with your peers and how you talk with your boss. Start there. We have a number of examples in the book of people who did that well. We know it can work. Uh, We've done it ourselves. 
So that's where I would say start where you are and be the courageous leader that you want your boss to be. I love it, Karen. Thanks so much. And if people want to connect with you and learn more about the business or even Winning Wells, if people want to contribute to Winning Wells, where can they go? Yeah, so our website is letsgrowleaders.com. And if you go to the bottom, it's very small, but it says giving back. And that's where you can see, see what we do with the wells. And I'd love to talk more with anybody who wants to learn more about that. And the other thing is that our book is Courageous Cultures and CourageousCulturesBook.com. You can download a free chapter and the forward by Dr. Amy Evanson of Harvard. Oh, you can also listen, to, if you're an audible person, you can listen to the first couple of chapters for free there. So if you just want to learn a little bit more, you could start there. Perfect. As Karen said, the book is called Courageous Cultures and it's co-written with her hubby, David Dye. Karen, it's been a blast hanging out with you. Thank you so much for your time today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for joining us on the Love in Action podcast. If you enjoyed this show and want to help get the word out, make sure to subscribe and leave a review.